great singing about our great Savior. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is each year just as we come around the, the Christmas season, as we think of the birth of Christ. We have so much to sing about and so many songs uh, to sing. And, and so what a privilege it is to do that twice today. I know it's been a busy day for many of, many of us. It's a good day. Certainly grateful to the musicians for all the time and effort that's put in for both this morning and evening, probably made for quite a full day. I would imagine many of you are very busy after the sermon, uh, exchanging your socks at whatever store you could find to replace it for a better Christmas gift after, <laughs> after the warning was given. But um, what, a, what a fun time for us tonight to think carefully about, upon the birth of Christ. We're going to be looking at, at Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. But before we get to Matthew chapter 1, I wanted to read an interesting question that comes up later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. So for the bulk of our time tonight, we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, but let's just go ahead and begin Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 41 and 42 and make a few comments. Matthew chapter 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. Their answer is informed by the Old Testament. As you, as you hear these Pharisees respond here in the text, in verse 42, they said, well, he's, The Messiah is the son of David. Of David. I mean, this represents this clear Old Testament instruction that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And, and these Pharisees knew this well. Let me, let me just read a note I read from the ESV Study Bible that just adds further instruction to what's going on here in Matthew 22. In the psalm that David will quote in his, uh, in his response, David is, David is said, David said in that psalm, I'm sorry, that the coming Messiah will not be just a special human descended from David. He will be David's Lord. So, so watch Jesus' response here um, when, when they said, he is the son of David. Verse 43 of Matthew 22, Jesus says to them, how is it then that David in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And verse 46 says, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So because the Pharisees acknowledged the messianic import of this psalm, says the ESV study Bible, they did not dare ask any more questions because the fact that David's descendant, Jesus, would have a more prominent role than his ancestor, David, it uh, further speaks to the uniqueness of the Messiah and the, the greater honor that was going to be due him alone as the son of David, yet the son of God. And so a very important question is asked in Matthew 22. 
Whose son is he? Who is Jesus? This is something that uh, will be answered as we look at Matthew chapter 1. So go ahead and turn there, and our focus will be on Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is likely very familiar ground for many of us. Uh, so as we think carefully upon familiar text, let's be, seek to be thoughtful and, and engage with what we observe as we read. And so I'm going to go ahead and read the entirety of the section we're going to look at tonight, and then we'll walk through and make a few observations together. But beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, we're told, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The description of the birth of Christ follows right after those verses 1 through 17 of the genealogy of Christ, which places him in to this line of David. He is shown to be the son of David. And so then as we move into verses 18 and following, our text, among many other important truths, shows us that he is not just the son of David, he is the son of God. And so as we think carefully between verses 18 through 25, we are seeing that Jesus indeed is truly man, the son of David, truly God, the son of God. He's truly man, born of Mary, truly God born from, from the Holy Spirit. We've sung these truths. This is, this is not new to us. It's, while it's important, it's something that is on the lips of every Christian as we sing so many of our Christmas carols. Uh, this morning, um, as we asked questions in what child is this, part of the answer to who Jesus is, what child is this, was that Jesus is the babe the son of Mary. And so in what child is this? We're acknowledging the true humanity of Christ. He is the son of Mary. Then as we continued to sing, um, whether it was today or in, in weeks prior, we, we sang of offspring of the virgin's womb. Speaking of this virgin birth that we'll read about here in Matthew chapter one, he indeed is Mary's son born of a woman but he uh, is born of a virgin, offspring of the virgin's womb. And yet, with that truth about his humanity, we also rightly proclaim 
hail the incarnate deity when we acknowledge that Jesus is God in flesh. He is the incarnate deity. So these are truths that we sing about, not even at Christmas that characterizes so, it, it fills the content of so many of our songs that we sing about when we think of the person and work of Christ. We, we are right to recognize that the true humanity and true, he is truly God, truly man. We sing about it and we also confess it. So throughout church history, believers have confessed these truths that we'll explore in, in these verses tonight. I'm beginning early even with the Apostles' Creed, which was likely not written by the apostles, but it would express the teaching of the apostles. And the Apostles' Creed that we would still affirm today would, says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Later, in the Nicene Creed, uh, stated so eloquently, it says, for us and for our salvation, he, Jesus, for us and our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. And so these early confessions uh, would articulate this truth of true humanity and true deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Later, another creed would even describe the right thinking about the incarnation as necessary for a right understanding of the gospel. To be in a right relationship with God would be to understand the gospel and to respond rightly to the gospel. And so a right understanding of the incarnation is necessary. So then as we move even into the Reformation, as you heard, as Ben was reading, one, one catechism that would speak to these truths was the Heidelberg that, that helps us so um, well in thinking about the person of Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers, in every respect, yet without sin. And so that's so important for us to see um, as we explore the person and work of Christ. And so these statements are only helpful in as much as they align with Scripture. And so as we walk into Matthew chapter 1, uh, as our authoritative word, the Scriptures speak to who Jesus is, as it speaks of Jesus as truly God and truly man, as so helpfully expressed in the songs that we've sung and confessed in these confessions that have endured through the centuries, but they're rooted in the scriptures as the person and work of Christ is clearly communicated beginning at the beginning of the gospels. So here we are in Matthew chapter one. I hope you're still looking there. We're gonna walk through these verses. Matthew one shows us indeed that Jesus is the son of God he is the son of Mary. So son of God, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God. And as you walk through the text, the humanity of, of Christ is on display as well as we see he is indeed the son of Mary. Mary was his mother. He had no human father. Joseph would be a father to him in a um, in a secondary sense, but he is, is not um, his biological father. And I know this is familiar territory for so many of us, but uh, let's observe what, um, 
is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by uh, Matthew in his gospel. So beginning in verse 18, it starts very, it catches our attention. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You want to know how it happened? Here it is. Matthew tells us the birth of Christ happened this way. It took place in this way. And it begins by showing us the setting that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And so when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So betrothal in those days was a legally binding contract. And so Joseph was to be married to Mary. He was betrothed to her. And so Mary is betrothed. They're not yet married. uh, married. It's not equivalent to what we know today as engagement, as we read of the betrothal. It, in fact, meant much more even than what our engagement would mean. But in such a contract, they were not yet married. The marriage, in fact, had not been consummated yet. Um, He would take her as a bride, but they were betrothed. And during this betrothal period, it was a legally binding contract. And so if for any reason this legally binding contract needed to be broken, it would have to happen, um, it would have to be done by divorce. And so Mary is betrothed to Joseph. It's interesting, last Christmas Eve, we were in Galatians chapter 4. And in Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul writes that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And I don't have like the notes in front of me, but I do remember trying to think through a a variety of events in human history that kind of speak to the fullness of time that set the stage for Jesus to be born of Mary And one uh, event that didn't come to mind, and as I was studying this week, I I came across a sermon where one pastor was pointing this out. This betrothal is absolutely another one of these human events that sets the the stage for the fullness of time to take place. Because just think of what this betrothal provided. Uh, The betrothal, um, Jesus was born of a woman Um, He's going to be raised by godly parents, Uh, but his earthly father, Joseph, is not his biological father. And and as will be carefully communicated several times throughout this chapter, uh, Mary is found to be with child, not from Joseph. Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so Mary, while she is indeed pregnant, she is still a virgin. So think of the wisdom of God in this. You have a virgin who is not yet married, that she is to be with child, um, she will conceive by the Holy Spirit. So just think of the fullness of time that the betrothal provides. Joseph is committed to this marriage. He is to be married to her. Mary is to give birth to a son, and God chose to send his son into a family. He chose to send his son into a family with a husband and a wife. The family, of course, you know, is created by God. It's it's God, God instituted 
family. And so it's unsurprising to us to see that God would choose the setting of a family to send forth his child. Because God takes the family seriously. And family is taken seriously here in Matthew chapter 1. And it's taken seriously at the same time that Jesus is to be born of a virgin. So that would not be something that could have happened in, in a married context where, where there was a, a bride who was, no, who was no longer a virgin. And so I just think it's, you do see the wisdom of God on display here in bringing forth that his son, born of a virgin, into a family, but it's a family who is betrothed and has not yet um, consummated the marriage. And so Matthew is very careful throughout this text to communicate in such a way that makes it clear that Joseph is not the biological father. Just kind of watch, watch how it's, it's stated several times and it each of them adds to the argument. Just go back to the genealogy that we haven't read tonight, but in verse 16, when, when we are introduced to Joseph in this genealogy, verse 16 says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So if you aren't familiar with the virgin birth, this sure would be a strange way to introduce the father of a child, to say, Joseph, you know, the husband of Mary, um, and you'd think it would say the father of Jesus. But it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. So Jesus was born of Mary. So then into the text, verse 18, uh, talks of uh, that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 you clearly see that Joseph is well aware that, um, that this is not, he is not um, this child's father. Look at Joseph's response. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, again, speaks to the uh, virgin birth. As the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, quoting from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 25, Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So our text will end there in 25 with, with Joseph taking Mary as his wife. But the marriage is not consummated until after the birth of her son, Jesus. And so continuing with this theme of, of being very clear that, that, she is born, that Jesus is born of a woman, uh, look, at, look at just what chapter 2 does every time it talks about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Just turn over to chapter 2, and, and there's four times where the same thing is said to describe the fi family dynamic here. So in chapter 2, verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. So four times in chapter 2, verse 13, verse 14, verse 20, and verse 21, we read of Joseph being commanded to take the child and his mother Mary. Uh, and Joseph obeys what he's called to do in each of those. So just carefully written throughout this gospel, Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus is born 
of a woman. He's born of a virgin. Joseph is not uh, the biological father of this child. And so what is clearly in the mind of Matthew is that what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. And so if you're still looking at Matthew chapter 1, move then into verse 19. The setting is given in verse 18. Here's how the birth of Christ took place. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And, and this news is now on the mind of Joseph. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, her quietly. We're introduced here to the character of Joseph. We see that Joseph is a righteous man. He's a just man. He loves Mary. And upon hearing of this pregnancy, he assesses the situation and comes to a decision that there are two options. He could put her to shame. Uh, Such apparent unfaithfulness from Mary could call for the death penalty, even under Mosaic law. But his other option, which is just as much of a legitimate option for him, would be to divorce her quietly. And it's it's in light of his character, his love for Mary, and his his righteousness, uh, he chooses to divorce her quietly. The text tells us that he's resolved to do that. Uh, The kindness of Joseph is certainly on display. And and I'll tell you, as you walk through Matthew 1, I I just find myself so impressed with the actions taken by Joseph. He's he's described as a just man. As you walk through his activity that takes place, he's an obedient man. I was with the youth last Sunday night, and our focus was on Christ. We wanted to come adore Christ, worship Christ, but we did walk through the text of of Matthew 1 and observe the obedience of Joseph. Uh, It's just fascinating to see all that he is commanded to do, he does. So you're walking through chapter 1, this angel of the Lord calls him to obedience and Joseph obeys. Look at how the text ends. Uh, Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. This becomes becomes a pattern for Joseph. He does all that is commanded of him, we're told, in 24. Chapter 2, the same thing is said of Joseph twice. In verses 13 through 15, the reason that he goes, flees to Egypt is because he's commanded to do so, and he obeys what he has commanded. So you move down to verses 19 through 21. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And look at what 21 says. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So as you walk through those, those events, it's just fa- excuse me, it's fascinating to see. Joseph is commanded to obey, and Joseph obeys. He's characterized by obedience. Mary, as you read through in the Gospel of Luke, you see what she is commanded of by the angel of the Lord. She obeys. These are the godly parents that will raise the child, Jesus. So let's continue in the text of Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20 tells us, As he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. If you step back and just say, why is Jesus named Jesus? You could say, well, because his father gave him the name Jesus. But as you walk through the text, you see, why, um, why is he given the name Jesus? Well, Joseph names him out of obedience to what the angel of the Lord commands him to do. But his name communicates, it describes his work. Name him Jesus, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is given the name because he alone is Savior. He will save his people from their sins. Uh, Later on in the New Testament, we read in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus saves us from our sin. He was J.C. Ryle in describing Jesus as the Savior of our sin, talks of how we are justified in Christ, that the the penalty for our sin is washed away, that in sanctification, the dominion of sin is wiped away, and in glorification, the presence of of sin will be wiped away. So it's, it's just praiseworthy to interact with the work of Christ See that his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, the consequences of sin, uh, the dominion of sin, the presence of sin. We are saved from sin and brought into a right relationship with the holy God through the person and work of Christ. And so it's certainly necessary to note it in that statement that he will save his people from their sin you know, just this morning we were reading in John chapter 6, and I think verse 40 might even help us to identify his people. Here are his people. John six forty, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These are those whom he will save. Those who believe in him, um, they will, if they turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone, they will be saved. All this took place, we're told, back in Matthew 1, uh, when he is born of a virgin, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. All of this, the birth of Christ, took place to fulfill what had been promised. God's sovereign purposes are accomplished through the betrothal, through the obedience of Joseph, through Um, prophecies fulfilled, all of this took place to accomplish God's sovereign purposes in the birth of Christ. And so just look at verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. When we think of the incarnation, it is God in the flesh. When we're brought into a right relationship with God, we have fellowship with God because we are in Christ. Christ is truly God and truly man. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. So then, the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, the description ends in verses 24 and 25. This was, all, this was a dream 
as Joseph was asleep, these are the things that were communicated to him by the angel of the Lord. Verse 24 tells us, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Obedient Joseph did just as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until after the birth of her son. Verse 21 is, is just so important. Uh, we've, we've finished the text, but I just think verse 21 is where I'd like to close. As you read a statement like that that says that his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It reminds us that Jesus is the only Savior. He came to save us from our sins, and all of us are sinners. Joseph was a sinner. Mary was a sinner. All of us in this room, all of us are sinners, and our sin separates us from God. God is holy. He can have nothing to do with sin. So if our sin is not dealt with, we are at enmity with God, we're separated from him, and we will spend eternity in hell separated from him. So if we trust in Christ, who is the Savior of our sins, we are brought into a right relationship with God. And so Matthew 1 describes that Jesus is the Savior. But a right question for us to ask tonight would be, is Jesus your Savior? Uh, That text in John 6 reminded us that a right response is what brings us into a a right relationship with God, a right response to the gospel. Jesus said this himself, whoever believes has eternal life. So the call this evening, it's Christmas Eve, there's much to look forward to, but the call at Christmas Eve is to believe. Have you responded rightly to the gospel? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior from sins? So we can praise God for the birth of Christ as as we worship him tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. He is the Savior. He came to save us. He came to save his people from their sins. God, I pray that everyone in this room trust in Christ alone for salvation. God, we delight in the gospel at Christmas time as we think of the birth of Christ, that you sent your son. In the fullness of time, you sent your son, born of a woman. He is truly man, but uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He is truly God. He is the God-man. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. So we just delight in the person and work of Christ. May he be made much of as we go from here tonight. Uh, We love you. May be glorified through all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.